I'm Larry Marquez from Walden Venture Capital, and I'm really honored to be proctoring, monitoring, helping out with the demo sessions. Today we have a bunch of demos and presentations. The format is going to be uh, eight minutes each, and we'll have some time for Q&A, hopefully, uh, for them. So if you have any questions of any kind, please be thinking of them, and I will ask a question. Um, and then try to get some questions uh, from you guys as well. So first, we have Maxine Marcus from the Ambassadors Company, Teen Consulting and Insights Company. Take it away, Maxine. Thank you. So with a show of hands, how many people in here care about what teens think of your product or service? Okay. Cool. And so then out of those hands, how many people actually like are having a direct stream of feedback from real teens? Okay. I see a couple hands, just two. So I'm going to just jump into what we do. So I'm the founder of the Ambassadors Company. I'm actually a senior in high school. And um, because of this, I feel like I've been able to really not only just understand my demographic, but be around other teens that I can help bring in as well. So we are a teen insights consulting and feedback company that can provide feedback on product, marketing, idea development, and strategy. And the most important thing about what we do is that we're brutally honest and we provide raw and actionable feedback. So you're going to actually be able to apply the results that we give you. So over the summer, we worked on publishing an insights report called Impatient, Opinionated, Bold, which focuses on app usage habits, consumption habits, and sentiments of teens. And we um, have over 100 ambassadors, but during this study, we only had 50 respondents. So just for some quick methodology, um, we had, like I just said, 50 ambassadors that participated, and we just had a general survey. And the main focus of the survey is insights rather than just broad-based sampling. So who are these ambassadors? Overall, my ambassadors are intelligent, insightful, and articulate, so they're really able to explain the ideas that they have and help another demographic really understand the nuances of who we are. They mostly come from affluent towns such as California and or in states from California, Connecticut, New York, and Massachusetts. In general, we're high performers in school, and we're from the ages 15 to 18. 76% of the respondents were female, and 24% were male. And then out of the respondents, mostly we are mostly iPhone using. So I'm gonna jump into some of the conclusions that we had during the app usage section. Um, the entire study was 50 pages, so this is just kind of scraping the surface of the insights we had from this. So we only use four to six apps heavily, and that means we're only really dedicating a lot of our time to four to six apps. That's not that many. And as you can see, notably, Facebook is missing from the social media apps that we use. I almost know no teen friend of mine that is on Facebook. So that's super interesting um, since a lot of marketing is done with Facebook. We are busy, and so we don't have time to dedicate to lots of different platforms. We really, really like having apps that have specific but broad use cases so we can you know, have a really specific fun function to go back to that every single day. But at the same time, it's dominating a huge aspect of our lives. So with this being said, we're only using four to six apps frequently, but that doesn't mean we're not willing to try new things. We are willing to adapt new apps, but only if it's going to provide something new and different to our lives, only if it's going to provide a real purpose. And what that means is, you know, often there's so many new forms of social media, new forms of apps that seem the same or slightly the same, where, you know, you kind of 
borrow some features from another platform and you make it a little different. We don't really have time to try to dedicate to something like that. And as you can see, 88% of the ambassadors did say they are open to trying a new social network, but the bulk of those ambassadors were a maybe. And that's because we're so used to seeing the same thing over and over again. So jumping into some music conclusions, the majority of us listen to music on Spotify, Apple Music, and SoundCloud. As you can see here, Pandora and YouTube are just... Describe what the bars are, because they probably can't see them. Okay, let me describe the bars. Um, so the first one is Spotify, the second bar is Apple Music, and then the third, is, the third is SoundCloud, and then the fourth is Pandora, and then the fifth is YouTube. So 60% of the ambassadors all said they use Spotify, 44% said that they use Apple Music, 34% said they use SoundCloud. And the ambassadors could choose multiple platforms, so um, there's many people that will listen on multiple platforms. Um, and as you can see, like I said before, Pandora and YouTube are not um, as popular among teens. So jumping into some reasoning as to why these are the results, Spotify is a really interesting one. The main thing is just that Spotify does it all, and we adopted it early, and so we became dedicated early. Um, and on Spotify, you have access to all music streaming, and then you also have playlist and radio functions, so that takes some of the use cases from Pandora, brings it into Spotify. There's also a social aspect on Spotify, since you can follow friends' playlists. That makes it really, really easy to share music preferences with friends. Um, as for Apple Music, the reason is super simple. It's because it's super, super, super convenient. Um, if your parents are paying for an Apple Music subscription, you're not going to spend your own money on your own. So you're going to mooch off of them, which is what many people do. SoundCloud is also, I would say, the most interesting one. Although, you know... SoundCloud may not be as popular as Apple Music and Spotify. The reason why so many people love it so much is because it has some of the coolest content you'll ever find. Artists become pretty attached to SoundCloud and so do their followers. Some artists will only upload their songs to SoundCloud. And so those followers of those artists will be very excited to be on the platform to get to see those uploads, to get to like really be in direct contact and follow that artist. So it really develops artist loyalty. Also because of that, there's some really, really unique music on the app that you can literally find nowhere else, which is one of the reasons why I love SoundCloud. Um, and that also creates a really involved music scene. Um, and because of that loyalty to the artist, it kind of translates into a loyalty to the app as well, um, as people are developing an attachment to the artist and then by default to the platform. So that was just a really quick segment of some of the stuff that comes out of the study. Um, this is just some general information if you want to contact me and learn more information about what we do and how we can be helpful to you, as well as if you want to read the whole study, it's online at ambasco.com under the research report tab. Um, and all that's my contact info, and we're going to jump into some quick Q&A. Great. Thank you very much, Maxine. Yeah. So uh, wanted, and please be thinking of questions, wanted to just ask you first about uh, Snapchat um, versus Instagram um, and wondering why, how you, you and your ambassadors are using Snapchat, uh, why do you use it, how do you use it, and uh, how is it different from Instagram? Yeah, that's a good question. So Snapchat is now, I would say, far more used among teens and Instagram. And the main reason why is because Instagram has um, a huge amount of social pressure. I actually haven't posted on the app in like, I, 
like months. And it's because it, it takes so much time and effort to put out this image since you have people following you that don't know you. They may be friends of friends. They may be acquaintances. So you feel like you have to really put out this image. Whereas Snapchat, you're usually only friends with people that you're more in direct contact with. So the stuff you put on your stories is more unfiltered or more, you know, and it disappears in 24 hours. So it's not like plastered on your wall for forever. Um, so people feel far more comfortable using Snapchat. And then also another reason why is Snapchat has developed a very mindless aspect to it um, with streaks. So people will literally just send ugly photos of their faces to their friends like back and forth for over 100 days consecutively. Um, that's a lot of time on the app if you think about it. And I have streaks that are over 100 days and it's literally just me you know, sending double chin photos to my friends. So there's like very little <laughs> real content there. Whereas Instagram is so hyper-focused on having an image, it, it takes a lot more effort to use the app and, and people don't like effort. Questions from the audience? Okay, and then one other, uh, okay, question right here. So you mentioned that the study is based on 50 people. Um, how many ambassadors do you have now and how... You said that most of them were affluent. How do you think that skews your perspectives? Yeah, that's a really great question, and that's one of the most common questions I get. So we have over 100 ambassadors. Um, it definitely skews the perspective. Like I said at the beginning, this is not supposed to be like a sample statistic or a sample of the, the demographic. But with that being said, teens, you know, with social media and with how people are being connected nowadays, it's not that hard for teens in affluent towns to be connected and to be consuming the same information as teens in other towns. Obviously, there's going to be different personal life focuses, but what we're consuming is essentially the same, and the habits are often pretty similar as well. Um, and also, another thing with that is that I would say the affluent towns part is is less important than the fact that they're well-educated. Um, the education part is what goes into providing the insight. It's really, really important for us to be able to provide an articulate expression of what's actually going on, whereas if you ask, ask someone who may not be able to articulate that as clearly, you're not going to get that level of insight, and you're not going to be able to understand that information as well. Okay, we're going to move on. Thank you so much, Maxine. And I, I think it's really interesting to see how, with all of the smartphones now coming up in high school, and she's actually the first generation that they had, they had smartphones in the ninth grade. And so they're forming all those early brand preferences. And by the time they're even getting to college, where Facebook started when it was all desktop, they pretty much have all their apps and services. So a lot of these battles um, are moving younger and younger uh, and I, I bet that the middle school is going to start becoming another big battleground. All right, so next up, we have uh, Katie McMahon from SoundHound. And I think you're going to be focusing on some joyful search and play. So uh, part of my job is to be a filler during transition time. So um, Walden VC. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so Walden VC, we do Sprout Stage Investing. It's typically after companies have raised a seed or angel round, and you're beginning to show some magic, and it's about getting real traction from there. Katie McMahon, please take Thank it away. Thank you, Larry. And I can vouch for the ambassadors group because she did um, some beta testing with us and did phenomenal work. So 
Soundhound. Today we're going to do some high-level strategy, very cool stuff that you as strategic thinkers need to know about, while at the same time going deep to show you Soundhound 8.0 and a phenomenal redesign of our Hallmark Music app. You know us as Search, Discovery, Play. So Soundhound has done um, this reworking of its app so that you that know us as the orange button see our iconic home screen. But now we're also popping two core functionalities. One is voice, and the other is player. Soundhound becomes your ultimate music wrapper for all things search, discovery, and play, the consumption side. But voice, voice is important. Why is voice so important and changing the landscape? Okay, so here is the tech part of SF music tech, right folks? You are going to suddenly shift your user behavior into a world where you speak using the air out of your lungs to control the connected things around you. And these things we know, right? Um, Alexa has become iconic. The echo has gotten our way into the house where we talk to it with our back to it. Siri was the first voice assistant, and Google, through OK Google, allows you to search with no finger and thumb. 50% of all searches by 2020 will be conducted literally by speaking for your search. So these guys, soon to be retired. Not that it's all ever going to go away, but touch, tap, and swipe, that phenomenal user behavior that got us looking down on these mobile devices, we're going to suddenly lift up because the IoT, which is going to ship 21 billion devices by 2020, will have connections to the cloud and have mic access. Wait, okay, Woo. back to SoundHound, the music app that you know. Hmm, why is voice important to that? Well, how many of you have ever used a music identification application while driving? Come on, own it, own it, you have, right? Because we have our own data, and if you go to this map feature and you pull up the data percolates, and hello, that is happening on 101 and 880. So we know you're not HOVing it and you're not the passenger sound hounding away, so we have an obligation ourselves to dog food our very own technology, which we have been baking for over 10 years. So while we have a magical music app that in its own right has 300 million downloads, crushingly amazing tech in it all by itself, in our stealth labs, from our founder's very vision of one day we will speak to our computers, but back in the founding 12 years ago, like Sandhill Road and wonderful investors said, well, show me money in three to five years with a real business proposition. This stuff to make is difficult science, right? We have scientists in our stealth lab creating the mappings of um, voice recognition and natural language understanding. We ourselves have created a brand new way to do this. It's called speech to meaning. So the big guys, Alexa, Siri, Google, still use a formation that is taking voice transcription after the voice recognition engine, having to map it over to NLU, errors, slowness, latency. Our stuff is phenomenally fast, accurate, and delightful. And then we've also created an amazing architecture, but in all our platform, the Houndify platform, enables any developer, you don't have to be a scientist, you can be a developer, to put a voice interface on your thing. So SoundHound Inc., SoundHound the music app, Hound is our own standalone voice search and assistant app. So if you're someone who bothered to go download Waze because its value proposition was so much more extraordinary than the thing that came pre-installed on your wonderful device, you're the type of early adopter that would lean into the voice search of Hound and figure that one out because it's 
tremendous. You can ask for, show me the nearest Italian restaurant that's open after 11 p.m. that also has outdoor seating, boop, and we'll show you. And then you can say, I want to Uber to the first one, boop, and you got it. So it's a phenomenal app all by itself. But let's get back into what we did with SoundHound by using our Houndify platform. So we said to our product lead, and Andrew's in the audience here along with, with Mike who runs our product marketing, we said, what would you do to put a voice interface on SoundHound? And the first question has to be, so you as, as a product owner or service owner, well, do I need voice, right? Not every mobile app, like a Snapchat might not be able to change a user behavior from touch, type, and swipe. But if you've got in-car, and we do, we have a premise of, let's make this hands-free. So with SoundHound 8.0, we made it hands-free. Let's just start with I'm in the car. So I'm going to open the app, and I'm going to put it in, in my dashboard, and I'm going to have some music playing. So you, you know the normal behavior is I have to tap this thing, and that's going to listen. So this part is doing a, a classic SoundHound moment where we're, we're taking music identification, and we're telling you the name of a song. So I'm going to show you voice-controlled command and control interfacing of the app, and then I'm going to show you search and play. Okay. So we're in the car, I've opened the app, and I'm hearing some music, and let's honor Tom Petty. Sounds like I won't back down by Tom Petty. Sorry, the acoustics, we've got a little wonkiness with our voice out. Don't let that um, crust up how you're feeling about it. Keep it playing there, Larry. So look at this. I sound hounded it by prompting without touching, okay? And now, to drill into some amazing feature sets, did you see that? Look at, here's a song. And then I can tap onto live lyrics if I want to jump ahead, right? It can bring me back to where it is on the, on the beautiful, okay? Now, we can kill that, right? Okay, Hound, add it to my playlist. Adding I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty to your playlist. Awesome. Inside of SoundHound, you can simply open up SoundHound and say, okay, Hound, play Electric Love by Bjorn. Playing electric love by Borns. It is the fastest way to get to music. I don't need to type anymore. Why do, why do I need to go to this keyboard? I'm just going to hound for it, in essence. Okay. I will. And now, to get you revved up. You're all power users now. I'm in player mode, right? I'm an Apple Music connected fan. But if I wanted to go and actually see the video, we're the only app that actually allows you to toggle between visual and video and your, your preferred Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera. And we got, the, we got the video coming out. Amazing. Other things that you can do inside of um, the voice interface, I don't even know. Okay, Hound, what can I say? A little bit of volume, please. Here are some examples. Fantastic, so if you, if you space out after this demo and you're like, dude, I wanna be an early adopter, I want a voice interface with SoundHound, but I forget what I'm supposed to say, our, our smart product team thought, well, here's a little tutorial. You can use it to command and control, right? You can add favorites, you can build a playlist, you can just get to a song, play it. I can even ask, okay, Hound, show the lyrics for Castle on the Hill. The fastest way to get to lyrics. That is amazing, right? And then I can play this inside of my own player. I'm connected. Right away, it's the fastest way. I'm in there. Now I'm gonna play from my streaming service. And it's so awesome. Oh my gosh, let's turn the music up. This is so good. Right. 
Now watch this. This is live lyrics in action. I was running from my brother and his friends. Fifteen years old, smoke. Yes, I love that. Cigarettes. It's just like holy. I go into the biggest music companies and show them this and their jaw drops because music people love live lyrics. I just controlled my music service. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Don't cut me off, Larry. This is awesome. So to close, two more slides. That was awesome. Coming Thank back you, Katie. away from our demo bit, the last second of strategic, you, the strategist, need to know it's been a decade of mobile. Voice is coming. Voice is the next OS. Are you ready? We have all the components out of a box to let you put a voice interface. We even can make your own wake word. You don't have to say Alexa to your thing and have Alexa actually own you. Be your own voice interface. Customize. Make it awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, any uh, quick, quick questions during our turnover? Tell me you're a software engineer wanting to come work for us. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yes, I do. And uh, I fee. am super excited <laughs> to uh, build things yes, with yes, yes, yes. your app. And I'm Thank wondering you. what software development kits do you have yes, now and in the future? Yes, the last slide, houndify.com. Jump in there and it's all there. It's out of the box. You will instantly understand and you, you'll have a free volume to use and you could probably... Huh? Fantastic. All Thank right. You for that Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Carolina Castilla of Massive Act. Take it away. Hello. Like, I, I'm doing a demo and also a little bit of pitching because, you know, you don't have Larry here like every day. So, <laughs> so my name is Carolina Castilla. I'm CEO and founder of Massive Act. I've been in the music industry for 17 years, working as manager, tour manager, and festival producer. Work with bands like Coldplay, The Pechu Mode, DJs like David Guetta, The Broadway Show Cats. And I moved from Colombia to Silicon Valley to create this tool. So we simplified the concert logistics and sponsorships experience for music industry professionals. There is a big problem in music industry in logistics communications and the talent database administration. But that is not the main problem. The main problem is when an artist comes to the industry, they don't have any training of how the industry works. They have to promote their music on their own. Touring is more expensive than ever, and there is too many bands out there. Festivals are assuming high risk, agencies are controlling artists, and there is a lack of professional expertise. So we are here to simplify their journey. We built a management tool for performance applications so the venues and festivals give the artists the opportunity to play. We have team collaboration, stage logistics setting, and we provide an ecosystem. The tools we have have the same effect as having a physical manager. For the artists, we have their portfolio or EPK, calendar management, technical requirements, communications, and settings. We have network with our 
Festival Venue Talent Buyer Search by Location, Communication with Email, Educations with Workshops Streaming, and Marketing with Brands and Media Connections. For the festivals, with our management tool of performance applications, they won't receive more email, text, or phone calls from artists. We have the stage logistics setting for hospitality, lineup, lineup, sound checks, and more. We have the connections with in with brands and media for sponsorships and publications. So this is a $30 billion industry. We know that the money for the musician is not rec in record sales or streaming. We know the money is in live shows or experiences. There is an average of 8 million bands touring. We aim to have the 69% as a target market. In the second year, we will have the 5% of, of that market. It only with the 0.5 or those subscribers being paying subscribers, we will have $3 million in revenue. We are a SaaS model subscription base. We have free features, premium features, and based on, on the user and functionality. So we implemented an organic growth system. We partner with festivals, they launch the opportunity to, to musicians, they come into the system and fill all their portfolio. Then the festival curates sound checks, hospitality, transportation, all those things, but also the musician can connect with other talent buyers and festivals are venues in the world. We launched our private beta two weeks ago. We had an alpha before. And this private beta brought us 500 bands, three more festivals, 50 agents, 20 sound engineers, 10 venues, and only last week we had 37,000 interactions in the system. It was just a private link on the social media in the of the festival, just in the Facebook. We didn't do any growth hacking yet because we are still in private beta. So the difference between us and our, and our competitors, you know Sonic Beats, you know River Nation, but we do more than the gig matching because the gig matching is not enough to make a musician a professional. So we give the real tools for them to behave how they need to behave. And also for festivals, nobody does the stage logistics setting, the hospitality, the transportation, all the cables and all the things that happens on the stage, we help them to organize it. So we are a 14-people team. Uh, we've been working on these two years, bootstrapping. We raised some angel money. We have developers, designers, storytellers. We, we are working in some transmedia marketing these days. We have growth hackers, attorneys. Like Everybody loves the company, Lupita, here, PR person. So we have a booth downstairs for you come and visit us. And we are raising 750,000. Uh, this will help us for one year and a little bit more months of operations. We want to have 40,000 subscribers, paying subscribers in two years and, and have the team full time. That's it. And where is the company based? And yeah. So we are in San Jose, but we won a pitch in Stanford, and they, they, we won offices in LA and in New York. So we have business developers in New York and in LA. Great. And if somebody wants to uh, figure out how to get a trial of, of your software, 
to become a customer, so what do they do? I was trying to launch public today, but it was too much to handle. But I think we can do it like next week or Monday. But I, you can go to the booth and I can give you a private link. We will have new page this weekend. This transmedia marketing, we are working with the robot. Like we will engage a lot with the musicians and no, it's a lot of working. It, it, it works. You can come and, and I can show you how it works. What, what's your website address? Massiveact.com. Massiveact.com. Don't put Massive Cat because one day I put Massive Cat and I saw a cat like this. Ah! And I was like, what happened with my webpage? Where is Steven? Fantastic. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Caroline. You know, one of the things that I'm always really looking for in a company is just to see how much they can do with whatever capital they've had. And really think of it as the hustle factor, which is whatever accomplishments you've made divided by the revenue that you've raised. So but divided by the, the capital you've raised. So if you thought of it with revenue, if you had raised a million dollars, but you figured out how to get five million of revenue, you could think, all right, that's a hustle factor of five where it might just be metrics of some kind. And part of the reason for that is when people form their behaviors and you see how they act, you're, you've got to expect that they're gonna be, you've got to expect that they're gonna be acting the same way after the capital is raised. So you learn a lot from seeing what people do. All right, we have Vanessa Ferrer of MerchCat. Take it away. Hi everyone, good afternoon. Um, I'm Vanessa Ferrer, I'm the founder and CEO of MerchCat. MerchCat is a app and web platform for artists to sell and manage merchandise at live shows. Um, prior to founding MerchCat, I was in commercial real estate finance and investment for 14 years and moonlighting as an artist manager, at which point it occurred to me um, how important merchandise sales were to an artist business today. It's one of the only ways that they can make real money. Um, so I had the idea for the app and I had the opportunity to create it and so I did. And we have a little video to show you. Hi, my name is Vanessa and I'm the founder and CEO of MerchCat. MerchCat is a platform for artists to sell and manage their merchandise at live shows. By using MerchCat, you get information that tells you what your sales are and most importantly, what is being sold at what show. MerchCat has real-time inventory tracking, which is great for us. It's allowed us to reorder things in time so we don't show up to a gig and not have anything to sell. And a lot of people nowadays don't carry cash with them all the time, so the great thing about MerchCat is that you're able to pay cash or credit, which is very handy. For a band who's not using MerchCat, I think they're probably not staying super organized. Um, they're probably doing it on paper, and while that might be good in the moment because you're really busy at a show, and they're leaving money on the table. Something that I love about MerchCat is that it's really easy to not only count what we have on the road, but also count what we have in our storage inventory. It helps us stay organized.
I think what bands love about MerchCat is that it's easy. It's very important for artists who have a growing fan base to be able to engage their fan base with that merch. We really aim to create something that they could just get into and not be afraid of, of trying to use it. The whole point of creating MerchCat was to make it an intuitive process because Artists and bands have better things to focus on than figuring out how to use an app. It's a really great way for an artist to keep track of the business side while not having to pay attention to much. So, with that, um, after launching MerchCat, I've spoken on about two dozen panels in the last two years helping to educate artists on merchandise sales and why it's important and really realizing that artists need better ways to capitalize on merchandise sales at the live shows where 80% of merch sales take place. So the next logical step to me seemed to be to create a fan side app. So we are very close to launching that um, probably another month or so. And, okay, so this is the main menu. Um, we have ways to find merchandise by merch, by show, by artist, and then we have a featured artist. So if I was going in to see who the featured artist is, it's Hollis Brown, the band that we just saw on the video. And I'm at their show, and I want to buy a hat. I would just go into the app, find the hat, add to cart, check out, select the shipping method. We have ways to um, either pick it up at the merch table or send it to your home. Um, in this case, we will pick it up at the merch table at, on November 11th and place the order. We'll have a card already stored um, if you make a purchase and you're done. Basically, you get an order number to go up to the merch table and pick up your item. Um, alternatively, if an artist wants to not have the fan side open at their show, they could shut it off. Um, if they see that they're running out of um, merchandise, they can choose to not have the sale, they could shut the sales down early so they don't run out at their own merch table. So this is a way to have fans who are at the show and don't wanna wait on the merch line or leave the show and they're like, damn, I really wanted that shirt. This is a way for them to do that. And it's also a way for merch to be purchased anytime, anywhere by fans. Great. Uh, if somebody wants to become a customer, what's the best way to do that? Uh, just download the app. Just download MerchCap. Uh, for on the fan side or on the, artist well, side? On the artist side. Oh, on the artist side. So yeah, you can sign up on our website. Um, or go to the Apple Store, download the app, and then sign up in the app. And what, what is typically the biggest barrier that people have on why they don't want to move into this digital mode? Adoption is hard. I mean, I think people just don't want to take the time away from what they're doing to take a few minutes to enter their inventory in and everything that needs to be entered in. I mean, we, have a, we track shows by bands in town. We can import from bands in town. So we, we added that to make it easier, like the onboarding process easier. But I think that it's just really the timing and sitting down, recounting 
their inventory, entering it in. But once that's done, I mean, the data that you get is invaluable. Fantastic. Any uh, questions from the audience? Go ahead. We'll repeat the question. So you said earlier that the problems you have is that people don't want to enter their actual uh, inventory. Have you thought about getting with partners that actually already produce T-shirts and hats and kind of like move them through that format where you automatically have the inventory into your system? Um, we've thought about it. I mean, there is a lot in our pipeline to create an ecosystem where an artist can go and, you know, from what merch do I buy, where can I get it, how do I manage it, and then how do I engage my fans with it, you know, that's really our long-term plan. So that is part of the plan. Yes, we've thought of okay. it. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Thank you. Okay, next up we have Joao Fiedero from YouTube. We are up and running on this side. Take right. it away. Great. Um, hi, everyone. I'm João Fiodaro. I am working as a product manager in YouTube's music team. That said, I'm not here to represent YouTube. I'm here as an ex-data scientist turned product manager uh, and to share my thoughts around the importance of thinking about product development in a global context and being sensitive to cultural nuances in the streaming age for music. This is an image that I really like and that I think is way underused at Google. I moved here uh, after living in a bunch of places. I've lived in 12 different countries. And this speaks a lot to me because I work in this huge company and I feel that a lot of tech companies really are way too US-centric, right? They think about a product, they think about their audience, they think about their talent in a US-centric way. And so I just want to talk really quickly about the importance to not lose sight of the international talent and the international audience. So we all know about the meteoric, meteoric rise of Latin music this year, right? Despacito, Mi Gente, leading a surge of Spanish language songs on the charts on the Billboard Top 100. Um, if you look at the charts right now for YouTube on youtube.com slash charts, seven of the top 10 videos in YouTube are in Spanish. And the important thing to keep in mind here is that across the Latin genre, the share of streams coming from uh, streaming platforms is way over-indexing. And Latin fans actually provide um, some of the most engaged um, music listening habits. And, and by the way, it's not just Latin music. When you look at, you know, YouTube has 1.5 billion users, and when you look at the sorts of music content that people are consuming, you look at not just Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift, but as close number three and four and five, you have Bollywood listener, Bollywood talent that I've never heard of, but that's generating thousands, millions of streams every day. But more importantly, in my opinion, it's to not lose sight of the audience. One key data fact here that I like to remind people of is that across YouTube, at least, only 10 to 15% of all music listeners are based in the US. And for the first time this quarter, we have over 50% of all our daily actives and the music uh, consumption coming from emerging markets, right? So we're here in, of, of course, we're in the SF 
music tech conference. Um, and, and it's important to think about the tremendous impact that the US has on the music industry. But we just can't forget that the top markets are more and more India, Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia, China. Um, and each market has its own unique dynamics, not just in product, but also musical preferences. And this is important because as music, music platforms, more and more we're going into a curation world where it's, we complement algorithmic recommendations with playlists that we think the audience, um, that the users will love. And so I just want to really say, if anything, one size does not fit all. And I'm just going to give you three key points, um, both from my anecdotal research, but also uh, some of the work I did as a data scientist, um, just the importance of being sensitive to some cultural differences. Number one, in taste. The US is the only country where recommendations are a primary way to start listening to music, right? We as, as listeners have been conditioned through Pandora and many other services for a decade now to think about music as a almost radio-like experience where the platform knows what we love and it just recommends things. But across a survey of nine different countries, the US was actually the only one where people rank this as the primary way. Users are not accustomed to algorithmic radio abroad. And sometimes we look, we, we push local content too aggressively. Just to give you an example, in Mexico, we see platforms like YouTube or like Spotify or Apple Music pushing reggaeton, pushing Latin music really, really aggressively. And as it turns out, many users do love those genres, but many users don't. They listen to indie rock the same way that an 18-year-old in, in London would. And so we can't just assume that just because you live in a place, that's the music that you want to listen to. Across media, this is YouTube specific, but the perceived relationship between video and audio is two times stronger in brain countries Brazil, Russia, Indonesia, Mexico, India, sorry, um, than in the US. And, and so people say music videos bring music to life. As you said in your demo, it's, it's important to be able to look at the ability to shift between these two media. And, and it's important to remember that we're not anymore in an MTV world where the music video is just the primary vehicle for you know, spending billions of, uh, millions of dollars and, and advertising the user, uh, advertising the artist. It's a complement to the music listening experience. Finally, in language, it's my personal favorite, just the realization that the majority of users will be listening to music in multiple languages not just using the product in multiple languages, but listening to music in English, in Spanish, or you know, if you're in Russia, the average is about three languages per user. And so, again, delivering, and this means that delivering a great personalized experience becomes really, really difficult, especially when we as product developers, mostly focused in, in the US, really only think about our users speaking one, maybe two languages on average. So, again, just to remind the room here, it's really important to be culturally sensitive when we're developing our, our products and, and to keep in mind that where, whereas we like to tout these millions of users who are using Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, etc., just don't forget that the vast majority of users are not US. Thank you. So practically speaking, um, how does this impact music strategy? 
I think the important thing to remember is obviously catalog. In terms of music strategy for licensing, of course, the, there's a lot of English language music, right? Catalog especially, that's held by the majors and that's licensed everywhere. Um, but it's really, you know, companies that are owned and managed here in the U.S., right? And no matter where you are, you're always going to love, have people who love Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or, or whatnot. So in terms of music strategy, I think the point I would make here is to, yes, focus on, well, don't forget that most content and most catalog is coming from U.S.-owned companies. Um, but again, more and more, you're going to have an audience that listens to genres that are cross-pollinating into, um, into the U.S. Uh, ecosystem of content creation and artists. Thank you so much. Great presentation. Thank you. Next up, we have Mark Roswell from ToonsMap with some special guests. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really excited today because what you're going to see, um, we've been uh, working on uh, quite a long time, and we're really, really excited to be uh, showing you uh, uh, something no one's seen, which is uh, Tunes Map triggered by Sonos. And uh, we couldn't be happier um, uh, having them as a, uh, a partner, mainly because uh, the, the ethos that, that, um, they, that uh, they share, we share. It's about the artist, and it's about this, you know, creating an, uh, you know, great experience for uh, the artist. Um, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, background on, on uh, me. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be a music supervisor for uh, many years and like uh, I got to work with amazing directors like uh, David Lynch and Alan uh, Parker, goes on and on. But from that, every uh, scene was, um, it was set in a time and a uh, place. And when you research that, it was not only about the time and place and the uh, music, but it was about the whole culture. It was the film, the fashion, the art, the news. Um, so um, for us, um, what you're going to see uh, here and what uh, Dan will uh, take you through, it was kind of my experience doing that, realizing that what, when uh, streaming came in, that you know we lost uh, all of the context, and so this is really about context. And uh, I'm gonna turn it over to Dan Lease, our uh, head of uh, product, and then we'll both field uh, questions, or I'll you know, uh, sing a song. Here. <laughs> Thank you, Gilly. All right, so we'll jump into the demo. Uh, say you're listening to music in your living room and you want to add some visuals to the experience. I've got Steven down in the crowd right there who's going to queue up a song on our Sono system, and we're going to go with one of our favorites from the Wu-Tang Clan. And uh, now we'll open up the ToonsMap app on the Apple TV, and the song we're playing on our Sono speaker will be automatically recognized. 
First, we just see some photos of the artist, or in this case, the scene that they're coming from. If we wanted, we could just leave this screen up on the TV, and as a playlist is playing more and more music, you'll see the scene change as uh, the song changes. But there's obviously so much more rich content out there to explore. So if you want to dive in a little bit deeper, you can hit the Explore This Scene button down there in the bottom right-hand corner. And when you click that, it opens up a feed of all this content that relates not just to the Wu-Tang Clan, but also the cultural context they emerged from. So in this case, that's the 90s New York hip-hop scene. And uh, this feed scrolls automatically, but you can swipe left or right to control the speed and also click on anything that interests you. And if you wanted to focus just on the Wu-Tang Clan, you can click on that artist card right there that says Explore This Artist. And it'll open up a broken down feed of their bio, some photos, videos, articles, and merch from all of our preferred partners. Now when Steven selects one of those videos, you'll notice the Sonos speaker will pause automatically. And you can hit menu if you want to exit the video. And the song will pick up right where it left off. And then if you want to leave this page, you can click the menu button again. It'll take you right back to that feed of all the content. And this feed is assembled by pulling relevant material from all of our partners' databases. So our goal is simply to promote this content in cultural context and then drive, dra drive traffic back to our partners. And you'll be able to see on a lot of these items a logo from each partner so you know which partner ToonSnap will redirect you to. Uh, so some of these media items feature a little picture of the artist there, so we can see RZA's featured on that one. These are items that actually have come from the artist personally using our artist tools. Um, we've given these tools to the artists themselves, labels, and managers, so they can tell the stories around their, their music and show some things you might not have seen before. So in this case with RZA, we're seeing instruments he uses, kung fu films he samples, records he's really into, so it's a really cool way for them to express themselves directly via the music that their fans are listening to. And we've actually offered these same tools to photographers, producers, writers, directors, even museum curators, and they're opening up amazing exclusive content that's uh, being shown in context to uh, music and the relevant cultural scenes around it. Uh, we also group music together in what we call clusters. So we can see right here we've got a film cluster. So if you want to go into a specific topic like film, you can click on that cluster, and uh, you can choose any of those films. And then if we wanted to link over to iTunes where we could actually purchase or rent this film, you click that button right there and you'll see it drives you over to the relevant app. So this is one of many types of clusters, but we also offer clusters of fashion, art, history, basically everything that Gilly mentioned at the beginning of the demo. Uh, if you click on something that's not available on Apple TV, like an article or a piece of merch, that's where we've got our companion mobile app. So basically, you can save things that you find on the TV you want to check out later, open it up again on the companion mobile app, and that's where you can make a purchase or read an article or whatnot. And, uh, and then just uh, last piece here, for any item you click on, you'll see we also show related artists. So for this film, all these artists are featured here. You can click on any of those, and then it'll open up another page like we saw earlier for Wu-Tang, and you can continue exploring more and more artists you discover and all the media around them. So this TV app's gonna be coming out uh, next month to all Sonos users, and uh, it'll be available first as an Apple TV app. Fire TV app will come out in February, and then we'll be releasing the fully functional uh, mobile app in Q2. Fantastic. Thank you for a great demo. Of course. Do we have a quick second for Matt to say something? Matt from Sonos, are you going to say something? Okay. And here's uh, Matt Welch from Sonos with a quick word. Hey, I'll be quick here. Uh, when we started building the Sonos Sound platform, uh, we did it certainly because uh, we really wanted our music partners to, to build really deep integrations with us. But we also knew that there were a lot of really smart, creative people that had ideas for experiences we couldn't even imagine. Um, I think what Dan and Gilly just showed us all as a pretty pretty strong validation of that early opinion. Um, we're going to go live and open with the uh, Sono Sound platform next year. Uh, and when that happens, there's going to be smart, creative people all over, all over the world building, building integrations. Uh, the works with 
uh, Sonos badge, which this integration has certainly earned, uh, is going to be the consumer's indication then that uh, uh, an integration built on Sonos is something that they know that we feel is really representative of, of what we think is really meaningful for a music lover. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Sorry, we don't have time for questions right now. Next up, we have Kyle Smetanka from TiVo. And we have the TiVo presentation coming up on the screen, please. That was a very cool demo. All right, guys. Let me move this mic up a little higher. So I'm Kyle Spatanka. I'm senior product manager of our music metadata products at TiVo. And I'm sure the first question you're thinking is, cool, what's TiVo doing at a music conference? Are you making a DVR for music? What's your interest in this space? So, so let me clarify our, our track record. You may be more familiar with us as Rovi, as Muse, as AMG, and from a machine learning and graph-based database perspective, Vivo. So a lot of the great metadata experiences or experiences you've seen so far up here today from a demo environment downstairs have been using some of our metadata to power that in the back end. So we are the mass aggregators and standard standardization uh, players within the music metadata space. And what I'd like to talk to you about today is some new products that we're developing to fuel better voice and conversation systems, improve playlisting, and get into a bit of how we see ourselves helping and contributing with authoritative attribution within the rights management space. So I'd like to walk you through a brand new product that we've developed called Song Connect, which helps us connect the dots between original compositions works to every derivative performance associated to that original composition. So I want to start with an example of Every Breath You Take by Sting. Today, your DDX feeds, your CWRs, your CSV files, your faxes, whatever you format you get your data in from, probably doesn't have these embedded connections to, all right, how many different master, how many different perform works are associated to that original composition? Using our graph-based technology, our machine learning platform, we're able to take our best in breeds. So we have 30 years of in-house human-curated metadata, being able to be able to power and pump that through our graph-based technology and spiral that out, connect that to unique original compositions and performances like Usher's cover of Every Breath You Take, the UB40s, the Cincinnati Pops, even where that song's been used as a sample within the usage of and performance of a new work. So create all these interesting song-to-composition-based relationships. When it comes to playlisting, this gets pretty interesting. And when you're thinking about powering voice services, like give me popular covers of Tom Petty songs, or what are popular songs of uh, versions of Desposito and other languages, so we're talking about cross-regional boundaries and opening up exploration and discovery of songs cross-country. But I do want to get into the monetization aspect of this, because when we talk about associating this back to the original writer or the composer. What this means is we're able to quickly help identify authoritatively all of the places where Sting, his composition, has been used and performed. And this is a really painful, really expensive issue in the industry right now, as I'm sure most of you here are familiar with. We have a lot of frustrated artists that don't believe they're being fairly compensated. 
We've had a lot of expensive lawsuits in the industry as well. We got a really leaky pipeline here of missed royalties, missed monetization efforts. And not only is this painful for the artist, but it's also blocking our ability to grow and develop new business models. I mean, we've had a plethora of new distribution models been born, generated over the past couple of years. But think about how many are still there on the table that have never really made it through that initial VC stage as a result of this exploitation issue. By the way, I love your icons. Great art there. Thank you. <laughs> the frustrated artist one is particularly excellent. So how are we looking to solve in this space? So we have this product, Song Connect, that we originally envisioned for advanced playlisting, advanced discovery service. But it also has a really powerful back-end service within the rights management platform. And through the combination of our history in 30-plus years and high-quality metadata, our graph-based technology, and machine learning platform, we think we have a really powerful solution that could help a lot of players in the industry solve this rights management space issue. So if you'd like to learn more, we have a booth downstairs. I'm here all day, uh, as well as different members of my team. Happy to discuss this further and dive into how TiVo slash Rovi slash AMG slash Muse is looking to solve issues in this space. Thank you. Okay, so, so um, we've run a little bit over. We're gonna head straight into the next panel with a quick changeover. And everybody who's up here will be available um, right outside those doors so we can do a quick changeover. Anyway, thank you for the tremendous insights and great demos to all of our presenters who really did a great job of keeping it fast and keeping it moving.